Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco, and with me as always is Mr. Derek, but we also have a guest this week. It's a guest that's been on the show before, but Derek, go ahead and say hi. Hi, everybody. And those of you out there in the uh, the Trekverse or whatever we call it these days, you guys remember Zach. You, you were on what, about a month ago, right? Yeah, just about. Yep. Thanks for having me back. I'm a repeat offender as of tonight. I think you're the first first one oh. that's been a repeat guest. Yeah. I think so, yeah. You are? No, he's the, he's actually the first one that's back, unless you count some of the work Ray's done behind the scenes with us, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely Zach. So yeah. welcome back, man. Thank welcome you very back. much. Yeah. We're bringing him back because we're jumping back into the uh, the Mechbach, where we pick a favorite topic again, and this season, or this, this season, uh, this week we're discussing season three, we're actually going to talk about some of the best guest appearances, because when we were talking offline... Season three's got that six, seven, eight episode arc where there's like a new guest star in every episode, and all the episodes are fantastic. And it's it, probably one of the more difficult choices. But before we dive into people's episode choices and uh, and they start defending their choices, we've got a little bit of news out there. Not a, not a whole heck of a lot of like the Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth variety. But Derek, why don't you open up? Well, um, so. There's a, uh, they announced this a little while back, but you know Picard's Ready Room computer? Yeah. You know that? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And then Crusher has one too. It's a different color. Hers is like a tan and his is black. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's a company. They already make like a Batleth and a few other things um, that is making these um, for sale. You can can pre-order them now. Um, The first wave is already sold out. And they are... (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) They are $2,500. Who's buying these? <laughs> it's the same people buying the $9,000 Enterprise models oh, yeah. from Discovery. Yeah. 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 Um, so so I, when I saw that these were going to be $2,500, my, my first thought was, wow, like a Star Trek like legit computer. This might be really cool. So I was you know going to look into it, and I figured like if it's like a legit PC, this could be pretty exciting. It's not... It's not. It's just, uh, it's a prop. It's a prop. It, it lights up. It's got noises. You know, apparently the text on the screen is, like, accurate to the show, right? But it doesn't, like, do stuff. There's no, like, internet or, or anything. Like, at, at a minimum, you could have, like, loaded up memory alpha or something, right? Like, oh, sure. <laughs> or, or make it almost like a, like a DVD player so you can at least watch, like, the show on it or something along those lines. I right? like that idea. Um, like, great. Uh, I'd be okay with that. Kind of like a small screen. But yeah. 2,500, I mean... Well, the thing is, if they've already sold out of the first wave, clearly they didn't have to go the extra mile. That's why they chose not to. <laughs> right. Well, so that's but, but how many was in the first line? Do we I don't know. know. I, I don't know. Completely sold out of Ten. all three of our <laughs> phase one models. Right. Yeah. Um, but this, this is the same company. They have this really amazing Batleth. It's a 1-1 scale replica. That's kind of what they do is 1-1 scale replica stuff. 
Um, and it was like $350. And at the time I was like, oh, that's kind of expensive. Not outrageous. Cause it is like a sword. Right. Um, right. And then I saw this computer. I'm like, well, now the Batleth looks like a steel. <laughs> you can get the Batleth for only $500. Like, eh, well, you know, it is a Batleth. And you can stab somebody with it. You could, yeah. Good right. home, home defense weapon. Well, look, the computer is made out of like a single polymer metal casing. So, I mean, you can still hurt somebody. It's a gigantic sure. like, titanium But that's more like blunt force trauma, not, you know, <laughs> slicing open an artery. Um, so that's out there. For, for anybody, the first wave is sold out at least. Uh, I haven't checked in a few days. I know there's three waves that are posted. Hmm. So you can, you know, get yours still in the, the winter time frame. But wave two, I believe, was like February or March. Oh, okay. Um, if I remember right. So right after I do my taxes, I've got some extra money I'm sitting on. <laughs> do I pay off the air conditioning? Or do I... <laughs> How do I explain to Eric? I'm like, I bought another Star Trek prop. <laughs> Unfortunately, this one doesn't actually do anything. Like, the other ones I can use for a costume or something. This one will just kind of go next to my laptop. Priorities. Well, Priorities. Like, it does make the Anovos Monster Maroon from, like, Wrath of Khan seem more reasonably priced. Because it's, like, two grand, right? Yeah. And yeah. the new jacket they just did, the field jacket from, from Space Station Regular One... They're just selling for like 15. And the work looks great. And, you know, we were talking about that off the show, how they kind of do their sourcing and such. But the work at least looks good. Yes. It looks yeah. the part and it's functional. I could, I would definitely wear it to work. It'd be 103 degrees in summertime and I'd <laughs> yeah. probably still be wearing, I'd still be wearing it to work just because it's fashionable, but. Well, you know, it's for all your trips to Alaska. Oh my God. Yeah, all the Alaska <laughs> trips. Uh, the, it's still one of the states I have never been to. Yeah, man. Oh man. It's one of the few that I have been to. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but and Alaska. At least you can wear that, though, right? Like, if it's really cold out, you could put that jacket on, right? You know, but would you feel comfortable doing so after you spent all that much money? <laughs> I just, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking kids. Like one of my kids would like spill something on it, and I'd be like, ah, jeez, yeah, I spent way too much it's money. Five hundred dollars spill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you explain that to the dry cleaner? Right? You can. You have to dry clean this one spot. Don't and touch, touch the rest of the jacket. Yeah. Leave the rest of it intact. Yeah. Um, Another collectible news, uh, McFarlane Toys got the new license for Star Trek toys and collectibles. Uh, A while back, they announced it last year, but we're finally seeing it. Um, The first two action figures from McFarlane Toys are in the wild now, and that's Kirk and Picard. Um, Good choices. Kirk from the original series and Picard from what it seems like season three onward. Doesn't look like the jumpsuit. Hmm. Yeah. Highly detailed action figures. They come with, you know, different hands for posing and different, uh, you know, like little accessories, you know, phasers and whatnot. Uh, they're really nice. And they're only 20 bucks, which for like when you, if you were to look at like NECA and some of these other action figures, you know, they range 30, 40, sometimes $50. Mm-hmm. Um, so for 19.99, that's not, not bad. So it'd be nice if we could get like a Picard from the inner light where he's older He's got the hat, or Picard, or, hat, or Picard yes. from Tapestry when he's got the the medical blue, the science oh, blue yeah. uniform yeah. on. And yeah, come on, there's they know there's people out there that would buy it. I would yeah. buy it. There is a uh, Tapestry Picard action figure from back in the day when Playmates was making oh, them from the nineties. It's a very sought after figure. That's I would imagine that's so. what I've always kept my eye out for. I don't, yeah. I don't have one. I, I do have his um, uh, Dixon Hill. Oh, right. That's a good one to have. have that right. One. And I have the Crusher to go with it. So that, that, that's kind of that's one of my little my little joys in my collection. It's kind of an essential Picard to have. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. But, man, yeah, Tapestry would be cool. I've got the Wharf and uh, Alexander from Fistful of Datas. Oh, the cowboy ones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cowboy set. 
I really, really, it was a missed opportunity, though. There needed to have been a bunch more Data action figures, because I would so buy the one of Data in the dress. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that That would be worth it. And yeah. they also need, they need war from the, the Robin Hood. Yeah. Oh, I am yes. not a merry man. man. I protest. <laughs> you, you can always just make a dress for your data. That sounds like a lot of work. I mean, I don't sew. I'm not a tiny, I'm not a tiny seamstress, Derek. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a heck of a lot of micro sewing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, the next action figures, though, in that line are supposed to be uh, Michael Burnham and Spock. Oh, okay. So, not super shocking, given that she's the lead in the new right. show, and Spock has kind of, you know, spanned almost all of Star Trek, with a few exceptions, of yeah. course. So, his name will be mentioned tonight, most likely. I mean, I would imagine <laughs> so. Yeah, and he'll show up in season two of Discovery. So, right. yeah. But uh, I think that's it from like collectible new stuff. I guess there is. Uh, we were talking beforehand that uh, the Steel Book for Discovery season one is now available for pre-order at Best Buy, um, and its price has dropped. It's it, uh, everything was supposed to be fifty-four ninety-nine. It's forty-four ninety-nine now. Totally um, worth it. It's uh, you know ten bucks, and yeah, I pre-ordered the the steel book because I am a sucker. So. <laughs> Same I'm a sucker for a steel book. That's an exclusive. I mean, this tracks my show, so yeah, why not spend the money? Well, I figure I spent fifty five dollars a season for the Game of Thrones, so I can you know pay forty five for Star Trek. It seems reasonable. That's the problem. I do so much travel. It's like digital is just easier for me. Yeah. Because yeah, I went up the whole round all those DVDs. That's yeah. true. It's a good point. I tell myself I'm afraid of the digital rights being revoked or I'm afraid of like something happening to the cloud or whatever. But I mean, if something does, if, if you know our entire world goes down, like I'm going to have bigger problems than how I can watch Star Trek. So. Well, I'll admit, I'm, I'm I, one of those... I'm in favor yeah, of digital. I'm one of those people like always worried about like an Enron crisis at Amazon. Right. Where it yeah. turns out they've been like faking their stock prices or something. Oh, yeah. And the company just... And there goes your they, whole yeah, Everything's <laughs> just gone. I'm like, oh my god, thousands of dollars in movies. Just look at this. Come, come over to Derek's house. If anything <laughs> ever happens, you just come on over. <laughs> I've got all the DVD. We can watch them on VHS if you want. I've got a bunch of that. Five days a week of red shirts and runabouts with Star Trek in the background. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I guess we should probably just jump right into the mech pod then. Yeah, um, let's do it. We've, since we've got Zach as a guest, I figured Zach would have the honor of presenting his case first. Ooh. All right. So I don't know if that's helpful or good or not, but but I'm I'm all for it. So, which episode did you get for the fine people out there? So, I chose Hollow Pursuits, which is kind of a twofer. I didn't realize this when I first selected it, but it's a twofer because, of course, it's a famous Barclay episode or Broccoli episode. Uh, if you're into the uh, nicknames, <laughs> though, as Data mentioned, nicknames often denote fondness, so I'm only using it from a place of fondness at this point. Uh, but it's a double hitter because uh, Guinan is also in this episode. So, and she's always a welcome face on Trek. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess just to summarize, for those of you who may not remember at home, um, Hollow Pursuits is where we get introduced to this awkward, kind of socially awkward, unique crew member who doesn't quite fit in. Uh, one of the critiques of Next Generation is that everyone's so polished and that everything of significance happens to the same ten people week after week. Uh, and they are. They, they all kind of have their act together. They're they're the top of their field. And and so here we are, season three, and Barclay is kind of a, a foil to that. Like, he, he doesn't look or act like the rest. He's a little nervous. He stutters. He fumbles. He doesn't quite seem so sure of himself. Uh, he's kind of the ant- antithesis of everyone else, maybe... Uh, especially the antithesis of Riker, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I chose, so basically, I mean, as a brief summary, um, there are, um, 
there's an issue that happens week, as there is week to week. A lot of the episode really does focus on this guy, Barclay, and how he doesn't fit in. Um, but the general premise is uh, there's something going down, and it takes this unique perspective of this kind of fumbling crew member to bring it all together. Um, and so ultimately why I chose this episode, and we can get into more detail later, but uh, I just I really like the character of Barclay. I like how they use him in Next Gen. Uh, I like the way he shows up again uh, in subsequent shows and uh, films. He's he's a character that before we got Discovery, there was a part of me that thought, man, I would really love a like older, wiser Barkley like teaching at the academy, or like have some aspect of like him be in the show, and like because you could continue to see his arc and his growth, and that that to me would be fascinating. Um, and yeah, I mean, you guys talked when you guys first uh, were going through the Discovery episodes that, that Tilly was this unique character, mm-hmm. uh, and I I think Barkley is kind of a, a precursor for Tilly in a lot of ways. Um, kind of shows that there's more than just one super confident alpha type up in space. So I mean, Barkley's probably one of the most real characters on the show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he fits that mold where they're... Well, wasn't there a line, a line in the episode where they're, like, they're not even sure how he got on the Enterprise? Yeah, yeah. And, and I like that because that's that's real. I can see people at my work making that comment. How, how'd this person get this <laughs> job? It's like, right. what's going on? And that's real talk. Yeah, that's real talk. And yeah. he's like that nervous, that kind of goofy... And you know what? I have to admit, the older I get, the holodeck thing, I think I completely understand. Yeah. Oh, I can yeah. see how somebody would have a holodeck issue if they have, like, low confidence yeah. in real life. And for Star Trek to talk about that, like, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, that's... Sure. Well, think yeah. about what people get addicted to today, like television already, video mm-hmm. games, mm-hmm. right? The holodeck is just the next technological progression of those mediums. Absolutely. You know, except you can control... All of it. Which leads to some comedic hijinks in this episode. (laughs) But but let's not forget, something kind of important here is that this episode, being the introduction to Barkley, sets the tone for that character forever. Because when we see him again in Voyager later on, he has that obsession and he has that addiction to the holo programs because he's created Voyager on the holodeck. Right, right, and right. he doesn't want to leave it, and those are his friends and his family type of thing. So that stays with his character, and I think that that that's good writing because mm-hmm. anybody who who has a, a, a real addiction knows it never really leaves you. Right, right, it's always there, and relapsing happens. Yeah, right. right? Um, so I I always I kind of like that bookend to his character that it you know. He, he grows, right? Obviously, he gets promoted, and he's part of the Pathfinder project that gets Voyager home. Like, he's very... He's in first contact. <laughs> right? He's in first contact, and, you know, he's just... He's an incredibly intelligent person who becomes very successful, but he's not perfect. Right. And Greg and I, you and I talked about this last week on the Tones of Trek episode, where, you know, in TNG, when people screw up and, like, something's wrong, it's really because they're just... They're too perfect, you yeah. know, or their real flaw saves the day, <laughs> you know. Uh, Barkley's not quite like that. Yeah. If you interview any of the TNG uh, cast for an interview and you ask them their greatest weaknesses, they'd say, well, I just I don't have any weaknesses. I'm just too perfect. Mm-hmm. I do like Zach's idea of a future, like, future Barkley. Like, bring Barkley onto the Picard show. Yes. And mm-hmm. have him be chief operations engineer instructor or whatever for the Academy. Or have mm-hmm. him be on Deep Space Nine 30 years in the future. He's... Yeah. He's something. Make him... Have him do something with him because he, the dude loves Starfleet. He stays in Starfleet. He's involved with Voyager and Pathfinder and all this stuff. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's completely feasible somebody like him would be another Miles O'Brien. Oh, who yeah. stays in for 30 years because it's what they love doing. Yeah. There's room for him. Mm-hmm. I think that as a side note, that's one of the most exciting things about the Picard show is that there's room to bring all these characters back and see what they're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be a missed opportunity to not bring in some of these, and I don't mean disrespectful, B-level characters who didn't get, you know, the full the forefront title credits, yeah. you know, uh, who are still around. Like, they have stories to be told. For sure. So, so there's still hope for Ashley Judd as Robin Leffler. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> on, the, on the future Picard show. Oh, what a great cameo that was. Yeah. I guess oh. maybe it wasn't really a cameo back then, but... It was one of her fur, I mean, because yeah. Will Wheaton was her first on-screen kiss, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're, I'm distracting from yeah, the yeah, ball yeah. With, no. Ash, with Ashley Judd discussion. But she was great as Robin Leffler. So, again, she was. she's one of those ones. they could, If she ever wanted to do, do two episodes of Star Trek 20 years in the future, because she still looks fabulous. She still... She's still active in the community and everything. Might as, might as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, but this ep- the way this episode opens is one oh of my gosh. favorites. It's so good. Yeah, the whole bait and switch thing. <laughs> and there's so many of these, and like classic television, but and especially in TNG, where like especially this far into the series, you kind of know what to expect. And so when an episode starts and you don't know what's going on, it's it's very funny. I mean, and seeing Barclay interact with these holographic versions of the crew and and you're like for one never met this guy who is this guy why is he calling the shots why you know why is he and and you know seemingly the most important person on the enterprise i've never heard of him before now and you're like this has got to be a holodeck you know holodeck adventure and yep sure enough there it is well he just like knocks out Riker. oh yeah that was great that was great and the, like the subtle way that which he manipulates the characters um is interesting like he even makes Riker shorter oh later on when they're like on the, the musketeers episode, yeah, the musketeers like, yeah uh, yeah, Troy even comments on that. She goes, well, you are very tall. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I always love because Will Wheaton's on the holiday. Oh, Wesley. Mm-hmm. But they have him in the background. He's like always eating. Always. Like, that's like, oh, yeah. all, it's like all he's doing the entire episode yeah. and the entire, when he's on the holiday, he's just eating. Yeah. And I've always been trying to rack my brain why. Like of all the things he made Wesley Crusher do, he's like, I'm going to make a holographic image of you. Just eating cake. Just don't do anything. Just sit there and <laughs> right. eat cake. Well, what was but, the thought process behind but that? But I yeah. think it's because he was intimidated because Wesley was younger and... Yeah. I don't know if necessarily smarter, but he was more confident. Yeah. Well, I mean, the show show likes to show off how Wesley's like the most intelligent person mm-hmm. on the ship. He may not have the experience, right? right and, the te- and necessarily the textbook knowledge, mm-hmm. but as far as straight intelligence goes, he te- you know he was like the Superboy in the first couple of seasons. He's a threat to all the fragile male egos. Enterprise. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, th- I think Barkley just saw a kid and wanted him to look like a child. Number sure. one and number two, just didn't want him involved. Yeah. Right, but he was still there because he's still, you know, renting space in Barclay's head. Right, you know, yeah, that's a good point. But just uh, a command crew, though. None of the none of his fellow engineers from engineering that he works with every day, which is kind of nice. It's a little bit of hero worship, which on Next Generation makes complete sense. You've got like the elite command crew on one ship for the entire fleet. So mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, it's part of it, like, you can justify it in, in the universe to say, like, yeah, it's, it's all of his, his leadership, the people he has to answer to, and then the people that he wants to be like, you know, um, but on the other side of it, it's also, you know, because it's a TV show, if they just threw in a bunch of co- co-workers that we, the audience, didn't know, there'd be yeah. no significance after, what's after, going on. After opening up the episode of the character, we, we don't even know, I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't get to see, you know. Patrick Stewart try and, you know, do some, you know, Three Musketeers stuff. Right, <laughs> right. Like, that's so great. You know, but you can tell that that's, uh, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner had a lot of fun during the holodeck portions of this. Oh, sure. But, For uh, sure. I, I will say, I think my favorite single moment in the episode is when Picard accidentally calls him Broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, because... 
you know, I, I I've told people before, like I, I want to be Picard when I grow up, and so like I've I can I've been in that position where I'm like say the name right, say the name right, say the name right, and I can just I feel that in my soul <laughs> when Picard screws it up. I really do. Yeah. Well done, Mister Broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he just freezes. Yes. <laughs> and poor Barkley just puts his head down and turns around and walks. Nobody says anything after that. After Picard cries, he's like, "Oh, Mister Bro- Mister Barkley." Well, like, Riker looks like he's about to laugh, and I don't know if that's Riker about to laugh or Jonathan Frakes about to laugh. <laughs> a little bit of both. From column A, a from column B. Maybe it turns out it was a complete mistake on Patrick Stewart's part. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. And that's why Riker's just like, what? <laughs> That'd be a little great little behind-the-scenes anecdote. And they just left it in. Yeah. Yeah, the holodeck stuff uh, in this episode was very well done. Uh, it was it was humorous. Uh, I liked how Riker... Or not Riker. I liked how Troy was trying to be extra empathetic and high and mighty about like, oh, you know, this is just, you know, his fantasy and we should indulge us. We should, you know, respect him and try to understand him. And this is the minute she sees uh, his interpretation of her, she flips a switch <laughs> and it's a quite a dramatic turn. And then that was uh, one of the funny aspects of this uh, episode was that, you know, it can be uncomfortable facing how other people see us because it doesn't, it isn't in line with how we see ourselves. And especially even if you know someone is kind of detached from reality in that sense, like like Barclay, like it's uncomfortable, like you know having to deal with that. So yeah, the whole you know computer delete Troy image and Riker stops her. Right. Riker's like, uh, no, I <laughs> yeah, he no. said we need to we need to see where this is going. We need to indulge this right. and figure, figure out what's going on in his brain. Right. Careful what you wish for. So what what about this episode, Zach, makes you feel like it's it's the best guest appearance? As yeah. fun as the episode is, because it is a really fun episode. For sure. So the reason I picked this one, the reason I feel like it's the best guest appearance, in part is for what we've already kind of discussed uh, with Barclay and, and what his character means to the show and to Trek in general. Um, but I really, I feel like this episode embodies the, the Vulcan Idic, the infinite diversities and infinite combinations, and in that things are a little bit different this time around. We've got someone who isn't like everyone else, and we're seeing the value of a different perspective that we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Um, I loved Picard's dedication, especially early on, to encourage everyone else to find a place for him. And and so, like, I, I mean, the first Trek I ever watched was the original series, and, and you know, Captain Kirk is super cool. But I, I honestly believe out of all the captains, I would be the most successful. All of us would probably be the most successful under a leader like Picard. Kirk is going to, you know, send you out in a red shirt and, you know, if you come back, you come back. If not... <laughs> He's going to be too busy with, you know, the local natives to notice. Um, but Picard was very passionate about finding a place where everyone can fit in. And and he believed the best in his people, and he encouraged them to think outside their own uh, box of superiority. And I really loved that about this episode. I mean, it's fun, but um, when you get down to it, I feel like it, this is a really good, uh, does a really good job of embodying uh, the openness and acceptance that Trek is all about. Well, and you bring up a good point because there's that conversation between Picard and LaForge when LaForge is like, I can't relate to the guy. I can't work with him, blah, blah, blah. And I remember Picard's like, transferring a problem is an easy solution that doesn't create, it's not like a, it doesn't solve a problem. Right, exactly. And I like that because that that's kind of like real life work because we mm-hmm. all have sometimes conflicts with coworkers. But then again, an actual leader is going to say, look, there's a solution here. That doesn't mean getting rid of a Derek or Zach or a Greg. It means right. find a solution, find a common ground. And that common ground kind of exists in the episode when they do start realizing, like, man, this guy does have a technical mindset behind him right. underneath his nervousness and awkwardness that meshes very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah he's, yeah, he's outwardly awkward, but, you know, at worst got awkward moments. 
Right. Because he's a Klingon in a Federation ship, and he's got all this stuff. They just kind of let his awkward moments go by, because he's usually, you know, loud. Right. You know, and when, right. when Q is talking to him, he's like, what can I do to prove it to you? Die. I mean, people, we, all just, we all just, like, if Riker would have said that, Picard would have been like, what? Worf says it, it's okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is so much diversity in Trek, and even at this point in the Federation's history, and you've got all races and species represented, um, and yet, um, if you are, it doesn't matter what race or species you are, if you're slightly different from the rest, like, if you're different in a way that makes everyone else uncomfortable, that's going to be a difficult thing for people to, to wrap their heads around, and I like the way that Picard pushes the crew to do so. There's even a little bit of a parallel between how Picard handles things and the hol- holodeck with the Three Musketeers. You know, like mm-hmm. kind of the, the all-for-one, one-for-all mentality. Yeah. That is the Enterprise in Picard's sure. command. Yeah. Right? Even you know, even though Riker wants to let him go, you know, that's not Picard's style. No. Yeah. Ironically, I just watched the Disney Three Musketeers on the weekends. So. Oh, yeah? Nice. It's been <laughs> a I long st- time. I still love it. Yeah. I know, every, I know everybody, everybody hates on it, but... Oh, I'm I don't hate on it. Not, I mean, not like... I remember the, enjoying it a lot like, when I saw it. The general... Audiences. I'm actually right. a really big fan of the Man in the Iron Mask, oh, yeah, which cool. is which is a Three Musketeers it's, it's, movie, yeah. kind of. Yeah, um, but I like that one a lot. Actually, yeah. <laughs> see, the next when Picard show comes back in, they're going to have a holodeck episode with the Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, Ooh, there you go. There we go. There we go. Nice. A lot of holodeck potential. A lot of holodeck potential. Especially with today's future. technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the oh, future yeah. now. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Discovery they had holographic images for computer for. I mean, <laughs> right. that's DS9 technology. So I'm like, good for them. For sure. One small note on the episode, it was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Hairstyling in a series. <laughs> hairstyling? Oh, hairstyling. That's Is funny. it because of the holodeck stuff, maybe? I, I guess, thought they were wigs. I guess, but... yeah. I mean, but you still have to style you still have to, you still have to style yeah. a wig. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's the holodeck stuff. It certainly wasn't Barclay's hair. There's no. not much to speak of there. No. No. Yeah, because you could tell in first contact. I'm like, <laughs> he's got a lot of hair all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Crusher is only in the episode as a hologram. She, her real version never You're shows right. up on that episode. You're right. Yeah, Everybody else does. Yeah, nobody gets a random widget sickness to have to go to the holiday, or go to the holiday, to go to yeah. uh, sick bay. Yeah. And since he doesn't spend a lot of time on the bridge, there's not really like a good excuse to have her around. So. Yeah. But there you go. My uh, my final fun anecdote for the story is that I, as I was rewatching it in preparation for this podcast, I realized this is basically the exact same story as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Is it? In the sense that you've got this one person who is different from the rest and ends up having this really useful trait that actually helps mm. progress the plot forward. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not, it's not a Christmas story per se. <laughs> it's just, hey, you've got this one guy, whether he's socially awkward or he's got a blinking red nose... That seems weird, and they're out of place and shunned until they actually serve utility right. and save the day with their unique skill set. Well, because like the so the underlying plot that's really the B plot. You oh, know, sure, that's what's sure. happening with the ship, and they're all going to die. Um, it's the B plot somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is uh, that the ship is going haywire from what appears to be some type of infection? You're right. And Barkley has an idea, but because. Um, of his of his confidence issues, and he stutters when he is stressed out. Um, he can't get it out, and Wesley kind of keeps cutting him off, even even though Barkley's trying to say something slightly different. And he gets kind of frustrated, but once they give him a chance to get it out and say what he's trying to say, everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like, that's what it is. Yeah. And, I don't know, I, as someone who grew up with some friends who had stuttering um, and things of that nature, it it kind of rang true to me because these were usually people who were 
so smart they couldn't talk fast enough for their brains. Right. Right. They were right. thinking too fast and their mouth couldn't keep up with their head. Right. You know, um, and that's kind of how Barkley is some of the time. Yeah. Sometimes it's brought on from stress because he's he's having some confidence issues. Um, but even that carries on in his character all the way through the Pathfinder stuff in Voyager. Yeah. He's also in one of my favorite episodes of all time, which is the nth degree when they're dealing with the Argus uh, array and they encounter yeah. that alien probe. It's one of the my yeah. personal favorite episodes. I know it's in the no, it's on nobody else's like top twenty five, <laughs> which is fine. But I forgot about that one. I'm a what? huge fan of Barclay episodes. Me yeah. too. The first episode of Star Trek I ever purchased on VHS is Genesis, uh, which is yeah. the episode where he gets a disease named after him for mutating <laughs> yep. everybody on the ship. Uh, <laughs> And he turns into a horrible arachnid, basically. It's it like, is oh, freaky, man. You ever see that in HD? Jeez. I, actually, yeah, I did. After I bought the the Blu-ray, that is some creepy stuff. Uh, yeah, so that um, that's one of my favorite. I love Barkley. I really do. He makes because he's so normal. He's so real. He makes for some really fun episodes because it breaks from that kind of sterilized TNG atmosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking of Genesis, did Worf ever get in trouble for ripping that one ends in spine like in half? Oh gosh. You know, they don't really talk about no, yeah, they yeah. Don't. the epi- you know, the episodic nature that of the collateral damage. Yeah. It was fine. It was fine. Uh, no, literally, literally, didn't he literally, murder a man? Yeah. yeah, we don't really talk about it. <laughs> don't bring it up. He's very sensitive. He literally wasn't bad. himself, Zach. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't his fault. Yeah, <laughs> Could you imagine? That excuse at a disciplinary meeting and work. <laughs> it wasn't myself. Part of me wants Discovery to do a take on that episode because with their budget and modern technology and that <clears> type of storytelling, they could probably do some, like... Jeff Goldblum fly level oh, yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. So, I'd like to see that. But anyway, anything else for Hollow Pursuits? No, that about covers all my thoughts. Okay. Are you with the Force? Is the Force with you? Well, the Force is with us over at the Echo Station Podcast, a new Star Wars series from the Heroes Podcast Network. Join us in a galaxy not so far away every other Monday as we discuss everything Star Wars from the original films through the whole EU. So pour yourself some blue milk and get cozy in that tauntaun with the Echo Station podcast. Find out more at heroespodcast.com. Derek, take it over. So my episode uh, for what I think is the, the best guest appearance episode is um, Sarek, which is the name of the episode about the character. Uh, Mark Leonard returns as Sarek, who is Spock's father. He's an ambassador now. Uh, much older. He's 207, 202, something like that. Uh, 2-0-something. And um, he he has one final mission before he's going to retire. And uh, it's a very, very important diplomatic mission. So it's something that fits, of course, Picard's style very well because he's the diplomatic president, uh, president, captain, <laughs> President Picard. Uh, Don't we wish. Um, he's got my vote. He's the diplomatic captain out of the, you know, the Trek captains, right? They all have their styles. He's the diplomatic one. You mean Mork is not diplomatic? <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe a little bit, right? Uh, okay, not about as diplomatic as a Slytherin uh, could be. Yeah, there you go. Um, Damn it, Snape. Not Snape. <laughs> Drake, Drake, not Draco. Yeah. Lucius. There Lucius. Lucius. Yeah, yeah, we found it. We yeah. found it. Um, no, I mean, after, after Picard, I mean, the next most diplomatic is Janeway. You know, and then and then Kirk, and then probably Cisco because with Cisco, oh, Cisco's the yeah, he's the least diplomatic. Of yeah, me. especially once he gets he the punched goatee. Q in the face. That's all you need to know, dude. He like I meant, he nukes the atmosphere of a planet. <laughs> yeah, on a personal vendetta, the dude gets a little unhinged sometimes. I'm not saying he doesn't get results. Right, right. <laughs> hey, they're on the fringes of Federation territory. That's right. Yeah. You do what you got to do out there. 
Um, any, anyway, so the uh, the point of the episode, so he he shows up on the ship, Sarek, uh, along with his uh, his second wife, and uh, which, as a side note, I mean, I guess once you go human, you don't go back. He's got a thing for human women. He does. So his his excuse has always been that because he's the ambassador to Earth, right? You know, best to to know Earth as as well as possible. But part of me thinks that that was his reason the first time around. Mm-hmm. The second time around was familiarity. Yeah. You know, he liked being with a human. Right. He appreciated that because you know, she even says it later in the episode, uh, at the tail end of the episode, that she knows that he loves her. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to express it in a human way. She gets it. Yeah. You know, and I think that ability to understand each other is really important. Oh, absolutely. Um. So, so yeah, so he's, he's there and... All of a sudden, you know, certain people are kind of snapping, snapping at each other. You know, Wesley and Jordy, which is a weird <laughs> pairing, snap at each other. And a fight breaks out in 10 forward. And, you know, Riker gets just cold cocked in the face. Um, and thinking of the Wesley and Jordy incident, it happens so naturally. Yeah. Because I remember even yeah. rewatching the episode, it still throws me off. Because it's just like... It just escalates real quickly. Yeah, it escalates from like a zero to a hundred. And you're like, what? Because the they don't. there's no build up. No. Well, and the topic makes perfect sense for Jordy to be kind of spiteful about it. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, Jordy does not have the most successful <laughs> romantic life in the world. He gets called out on it. Uh, his best relationship is with a holodeck program, you know, throwback to Barkley. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that argument is really good, you know, but just everyone, like, you know, O'Brien gets in and starts a fist fight, basically, in 10 forward. O'Brien, of all people, like, right. the only enlisted man on the ship. <laughs> the know? only non-commissioned officer we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, who, like, he is, like, the pinnacle of doing his duty and following orders, and there he yeah. is, like, starting a fight over a table. <laughs> right. Um and uh, so anyway, so you know, then they they, they put um, they're supposed to leave Sarek alone because he's just he's old and he needs his strength and his energy and all of that. Um, and then they they hold the concert. You see him cry, which is yeah. like, what is happening? It's a big moment. I mean, before that, the only time you see a Vulcan do anything remotely close to that uh, would be, I guess, when Spock interacts with V'ger. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I guess so. Because he was showing a little bit of emotion about encountering a life form like that. Or maybe a mock time when he finds out that he didn't actually kill Jim. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, but otherwise, you know, Vulcans don't show emotion like that. Um, and you find out that he uh, has Bendai Syndrome, which is something that only affects Vulcans over the age of 200. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you... You know, that's that's a good small segment of the population, I would imagine. Um, and it basically causes them to lose control of their emotions, which has got to be the Vulcan hell, right? Right. Um, well, and that's what a lot of people misunderstand, that they don't watch Star Trek. They think Vulcans don't have emotions. It's the opposite. They feel the same emotions, but they don't have emotional responses. Arguably more intense emotions. Yeah, they have more, yeah. yeah, they have more intense emotions. It's just they're able to not contain them. I guess contain them is the best word I can think of. It's just isolate them and focus on the intellect and on the, on the logic of things. They must be able to compartmentalize. And that was one of the things I realized watching this episode is that like Vulcans just have this in- intense ability to compartmentalize that most humans don't. It's, it's all about control for right. the Vulcans. I mean, that was the big difference with the Romulans is why they left. Mm-hmm. Right. And basically evolved as a separate species because 
they wanted their emotions. You look at, I mean, you know, not not to bring up Star Trek V, but Cyborg <laughs> embraces <Why>? his emotions. <laughs> right. Right? And there's some bad stuff in that movie, but his character is very intriguing. It's an interesting concept to see a laughing, smiling Vulcan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we never really get to see that other than some inconsistencies in the original series. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there is that misconception that Vulcans are emotionless. No, they, their emotions are so much stronger than us that they have to push them down or they destroy themselves. Right. Right? Um, and Enterprise gets into that in a lot more mm-hmm. detail, uh, much later, of course, slash earlier. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so you find out that, that he has Bendai Syndrome, and because of that, his he, he's being kind of emotionally controlled a bit by his counterpart, um, who's you know, using his his limited abilities to try and and suppress this problem as much as possible to get this last mission done, but it's randomly impacting people all over the ship, and people are arguing with each other. I mean, even Picard and Riker have a moment on the bridge mm-hmm. where they're yelling at each other. Which I mean, the only other time you see anything like that is in first contact between him and Worf when they want to blow up the ship. You know, right. um, Beverly hits her own son. She does. She slaps Wesley. Yeah. Uh, not, I forgot, I forgot about the Wesley slap. <laughs> then, I, then I remember her talking to Troy about it. Right. And just being like, well, I've never, I've never struck my son before. That's something you don't even think of happening in Star Trek, is somebody striking a child. Yeah. And what's really interesting about it is it's all aggressive emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it harkens back to that problem with the Vulcans and that... It's because it's it's the aggressive tendencies. Like they were incredibly violent people yeah. before they kind of started following this this dogma of controlling their emotions. So it's not that you know someone's too happy or you know too sexually aroused. It's all aggressive fighting nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, some of that's probably due to Sarek being frustrated himself. Right. He may not want to admit to anybody, even himself, maybe, that he's having these issues, but subconsciously he's very frustrated. Well, and it's that undertone of fear. He's yeah. scared of what the syndrome's doing to him, scared of losing his, you know, dignity as a Vulcan, the mm-hmm. logic and his outward appearance he's been putting on for with the Federation essentially a hundred and a hundred and seventy years as a diplomat. If you think he started young in his life, which most diplomats probably would in some capacity, for hundred and seventy years he's been a leading mind of the Federation. And he's watching himself fall down that rabbit hole of emotions, which I guess to a Vulcan, it would be like for a human, it would be, I don't even know what the equivalent would be. I mean, if you had like dementia, like there are a lot of like, you know, dementia patients or people with Alzheimer's who uh, have some aggressive tendencies. And I think it's because that insecurity, that fear comes out and you're still with it enough to be aware that you're losing control. And that's a very scary thing to be in. And, And amplify that even more when you figure that this is a Vulcan with certain expectations of himself. And with certain societal expectations within the Federation that he be able to fill this very cold, logical role. And so, like, Mm -hmm. that's an unpleasant experience for anybody. But when society is telling you that you have to be a certain way and you can't even fit that mold anymore, that's, that's terrifying. I think the comparison to Alzheimer's and dementia is perfect. I think that's basically what this is a parallel for, Mm -hmm. right? Just, you know, shrouded in an alien. That's what Star Trek does best, right? Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very emotional episode. I mean, the end of it, probably has one of Patrick Stewart's best performances yeah. on the show. Um, For sure. You know, when he, he does the... So he does a mind meld with Sarek to give Sarek control. And this is a very big deal in TNG because other than seeing Bones in the pilot for a minute, 
the original series is barely mentioned. You have, um, you know, the, the naked now, you know, um, which is like episode like three or four or whatever. Um, but otherwise, like they really try to distance themselves from the original series. It's why you don't really see Vulcans. Mm-hmm. They wanted to focus on the Romulans and other other species that were new, right? So bringing on a Vulcan, one that had been from the original series already, and s- referencing Spock was a really big deal. Um, but doing the mind melt took it even a step farther because by then we had only seen it in a few small situations. Pretty much Vulcan the Vulcan. Vulcan to like alien with um, um, you know Spock in uh, the Devil Orta, in the Dark. The yeah. Orta. Thank you. Yeah, and with, when he does it with McCoy, but that's an extremely unique situation with him and McCoy in Wrath of Khan. Exactly, right. and you see Sarek uh, mind meld with Kirk in three, mm-hmm. right? Trying to find out what happened, um, and so it's one of those things we know is very powerful, but it's not used all that much, um, and so. Picard basically wants to give his stability to Sarek to complete this mis- mission, yeah. which is a huge undertaking. And Picard has to then deal with not only his own uncontrolled emotions, but Sarek's, right. which, again, are much more intense than human emotions. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful scene. Yeah, um, Crusher's watching him, trying to make sure you know nothing like serious happens, but Picard's dealing with some intense stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, wow, and wow. It's Patrick Stewart's acting in the scene. It's you legit feel for the for the character of Picard because he just did. He absorbed two hundred years of pent up emotion, trying to hold it together during an already tense moment or tense time on the ship when they're having these negotiations with. I think they're, they're called the Lagarans because they they live in those slime pits or those mud pits or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. And they're all like, well, who, "Who the hell? Who the hell sits in this?" And they're like, "Well, it's you. It's disgusting to the Lagarans at home." Um, so it's already a tense situation. He's dealing with Sarek's emotions, and he's also got an emo- a relationship with Sarek. I mean, he wants his friend and diplomat to be healthy, and he knows, you know, what's the cure for Ben dying? I think it was Crusher. Like, well, there is no cure. There is none. Yeah. Or par- I think it was Parent says that there is no cure, and he know and Sarek knows that as well. And I mean, when you look at the two characters, Sarek and Picard, they both have a lot of respect for each other. You know, when, when you know, Sarek describes Picard's career as satisfactory, is like that's one of the greatest compliments a Vulcan, especially of his stature, could give a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Picard even makes the comment at the end of the episode that after a mind meld, you know, Sarek says they, they each get the best parts of the other, yeah. and Picard's like, I think I got the better end of that bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to take away from Mark Leonard's performance oh, yeah. in this episode, which is probably his best performance as well, especially as Sarek or on Star Trek, since he played a couple other characters. Um, when he has the argument with Picard and he gets, he has to be angry and he has to kind of get mentally stuck in himself in this logical loop uh, and go back and forth from extremes, like it is so well done. Yeah. No, it's the. The acting on both parts throughout the entire episode, it was fantastic. And they actually used parts of the story in uh, the Unification episodes a couple years later. Because oh, right. Sarek is back as another guest star in that episode when they're when they're searching for, essentially a search for Spock in Next Generation. <laughs> so they tie the stories very well together. And Mark Leonard has been involved in Star Trek for forever. I mean, he's like Major Barrett. He's always been playing a part in all most of the shows doing some one thing or the other. Until, I mean, until the actor unfortunately passed away, but no, he did a hell of a job in this episode. Yeah, so, yeah. It, this is it's going to make this mechbach very difficult. He had a good screen presence, and so did Picard. And I, I love that you touched on that last scene. I loved how powerful it was, and it touched on 
kind of my frustration with Vulcan philosophy, like, just on a personal level. Like, the episode's top-notch, but, like, I feel like there is a, a level of inherent danger in repressing your emotions to that extent. And, you know, Vulcans, maybe they've got it figured out to some extent, or maybe they don't, and that's why 200 <laughs> years down the road they have this intense, you know, illness that affects them. But um, there was a really powerful moment in that scene, like, towards the end, where uh, Picard's just losing his shit, and he is uh, clearly distraught, and he... Um, he expressed some form of discomfort in his inability to suppress the emotions. And Beverly just grabs him, holds him, and says, don't even try. And it's this powerful moment of, like, I feel like in life, leaning into some of these uncomfortable emotions as opposed to suppressing them actually allows for greater healing and ability to move forward. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the Vulcan physiology that we know, like what they became. They basically altered their evolution because of this. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of, you know, the every seven years of Ponfar. Right. right. If they don't fulfill that in some way, they die. They the straight purge. up die. Right. Like you have to purge those emotions <laughs> once every seven years. But think about it, right. I mean, it, it impacted uh, both the original series and Voyager pretty heavily because yeah. you had a mock time, which is one of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek uh, that's parodied, you know, all the time. And Spock thinks he kills Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Voyager, you have Tuvok. And the fact that they're 70,000 light years away and he doesn't feel like he can be um, unfaithful to his wife, but he'll die otherwise. Right. And did they bring it up in Enterprise with T'Pol? I thought for some reason they did with her and... Uh... It's been I thought it was hinted. It yeah. might have been. It's been honestly, yeah. it's been very long since I've seen Enterprise. Enterprise focuses a lot on the Vulcans, and they, they do does, focus a lot yeah. on the taboo of the mind meld, which I guess, you know, 100 years later in the TOS time frame is less taboo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they very well may have. Well, Enterprise always kind of showed that Vulcan concept of they think the humans are moving too fast. Right. The humans are advancing, they're doing all this, and that kind of shows the emotional side of humanity where... The bulk of people, I think, have that drive to always want to do better. Mm-hmm. They want to do better for themselves or if they want their kids to do better than them. It's that drive when the Vulcans kind of containing their emotions. Not, they haven't stagnated, but they've kind of, they're kind of at an equilibrium. Where... Well, they, they've almost stagnated, though. If you look at what the Vulcans were like during First Contact and Enterprise, and then you move ahead to where they are during TNG and Voyager. Right. I mean, you know, look at the advancements that humanity has made, or even the Klingons have made. True. Compared to the Vulcans, the Vulcans are so focused on their logic and their science that there's not a lot of of growth from a societal standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other civilizations, especially the Klingons and, and and Earth, advanced significantly during that same time period. And I think a lot of it has to do with not necessarily unhinged emotion, but riding those emotions. Right. That most of the people, you know, follow their emotions and let their emotions be their guide. Klingons for sure, right? And in Star Trek, I mean, you know, on the Federation side, that is, Picard's one of the more controlled emotional characters. You look at mm-hmm. Kirk, Janeway, and Cisco. <laughs> Even Archer, they're pretty emotional people. Right. And even if you look at the first officers, the first <laughs> yeah. officers have almost always been the kind of like a stabilizing factor. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you have Riker, who, yeah, Riker's got emotions and he's a bit of a flirt, but he's kind of a duty first kind of guy for the most part. Yeah. And same thing with Spock, obviously, and uh, Chakotay. And then you look at Kieran Reese. It's like, I would love to see a cast or a crew of like a Bajoran. And a Vulcan, because <laughs> oh, the, the Bajorans are hyper emotional, like on purpose. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like I mean, even remember Lita's even talking about her breakup thing, mm-hmm. where their purpose of the breakup when she's breaking up with Bashir is basically to go out and 
have more sex and meet more people. Have a good time. Because the, that's what the Bajor, that's what the Bajorans are like. Could you imagine the Bajoran explaining that to like Spock, like even trying to come out some for some reason fathom if they if if Uhura wasn't a human if she was a Bajoran and she thinks they're breaking up with Spock. She's like, all right, well, I'll see ya, and I'm I'm going out with Zach tomorrow. <laughs> Spock could be like, uh, he wouldn't be offended because of the logic, the emotion thing, but he would right. still be like. Just doesn't seem to be logical to me. So it's, it is kind of neat seeing how the Vulcans have always been that. Um, you always assume that they have no emotions because that's how they're portrayed. But then when you read more, you read more of the stories, you watch more of them. That's what Sarek's problem is in this episode. He's got all those emotions that are overpowering everybody. Even that confrontation with Picard where Sarek is getting mad, where he's like, you're blaming me for the outburst among your crew. And it's mm-hmm. those emotions are kind of leaking through. You know, with all these new Star Trek shows coming out, like if anyone from CBS is listening... Got a pitch for you. Ooh. Do a buddy cop show with a Vulcan and a Bajoran. That would be... I would watch it. Yeah, why not? I mean, cops don't really work in the Federation, but they'd figure some well, work around. you could do some type of maybe like uh, Section 31. <clears throat> Section or 31. Or they could be part of the uh, the time... Uh, uh, what's what's oh, the... the temporal... Uh, um, you know what I'm talking about from the 20, uh, 28th century. Or oh, whatever. yeah. The, the, yeah. The, basically the time cops. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, time like, cops. Like, like, yeah. After, yeah. They could be those guys. Yeah. Time agents. Excuse time me, time agents. agents. Yeah. That's what it is. A Vulcan and a, Bajor- and a Bajoran. I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the with the whole Bajoran earpiece thing. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. if a Vulcan doesn't understand it, be like, are you, are you mocking me? <laughs> <laughs> There's potential. But yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much the episode of Sarek. You know, it just, it really focuses on, of course, the character and Vulcan ideology and, and society quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that. I mean, anything else about that one worth, worth adding? No, I think you summed up nicely. Yeah. Okay. What's challenging about this mech buzz? These are two actually legit good episodes. <laughs> <laughs> some of our mech buzz have been mediocre episodes with like great characters. Mm-hmm. These, this is one of those cases where it's two great episodes with two fantastic guest appearances. Well, you it's have you have Barkley, who this is the introduction to a guest character that at least I think the three of us grew to love, mm-hmm. right? And then you have Sarek, which is essentially the tail end of his story right uh, so they're kind of opposites but season three is a good season <laughs> it, is. it is that's when the show really took off it uh, hit its stride and i mean to your point to me you know it's difficult to pick between these two derek i guess because i'm the guest allowed me to pick first i told him i was like i'm having a tough time picking between sarah and hollow pursuits ultimately i went with hollow pursuits but uh these those, are both i mean they were the top two for me i think i had yeah. a couple other small ones in the running i thought yeah. about doing deja q because mm-hmm. john delancey of course is very iconic every yeah. time he shows up on the show absolutely um, Yesterday's Enterprise would have been a good option. Yeah, Tasha, 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 yeah. I thought about that one, uh, but I was actually going to do that one for Guinan. Oh, well, that's, oh, a great, that's a yeah. great Guinan episode. That's, that's a better Guinan episode. Because sure. I, I feel like that episode gives more credence and explanation to her relationship with Picard than anything else on the show. Mm-hmm. And it kind of extrapolates on her otherworldliness, mm-hmm. kind of the mystics behind her. Yeah. So if I had done yesterday, that was on my short list too. It's basically those four episodes, mm-hmm. you know. And I was trying to decide. And when you picked Hollow Pursuits, I thought that I should probably pick something that focuses more on the character, like Hollow Pursuits does. It's a Barkley episode, sure, right? Sure. Uh, whereas you know, yesterday's Enterprise, it's really more about Picard and him dealing with these changes, and it is about Guinan, right, right. Um, and Deja Q, I just thought maybe I'd save that for when we do maybe just a best of Q in general kind yeah. of thing. So. Top seven best Q episodes. 
I think he, he was only in like 11 or 13 total oh, okay. episodes was, of Star Trek. You're probably right. I was just making the joke that I feel like he's in one episode per season. So, yeah. I mean, top seven. <laughs> Seasons one through seven. So, Greg, what's it going to be, man? All right. And in, in, in my live custom... the balance. Yeah, live taking the balance. <laughs> in a vote of seven out of 13. A nice, you know, 56% margin, right? That's usually what these come out to be. That's what they come out to be. I got to go with Hollow Pursuits and Barkley. And here's my reason why. Um, I think Mark Leonard's performance was superior. Um, I think think he was a little bit more of an emotional impact. I think what I liked about Barkley and Dwight Schultz, um, I think what I liked about him was the way he impacted the entire crew. It's because at one point I'm watching the episode and, like, Wesley's making fun of him and Riker just can't. Riker, essentially, it's the first time I have ever seen on the show where Riker almost can't stand being in the same room. He actually says it. He's like, I can't even... Or no, Jordy says it. He's like, mm-hmm. I can't even stand being in the same room as the guy. Yeah. And Troy... Riker wants to fi- transfer him. Yeah. transfer him. You know, that, that's, it just almost feels out of character. And, yeah. and I like yeah. that because it's the first... It's one of the first times we've seen people... We've seen some of the characters have challenges in the past. Like, significant challenges. This is like the first time where there's like another polarizing character where they're all like, just get rid of him, transfer him, I don't like him. He's annoying. He's frustrating. I don't want to deal with him, and I like that because that's that's how humans react. Yeah, to a to an to potentially an annoyance. But Picard, the impact he has on Picard, where Picard's like, let's find a solution. Let's find a way to make it work. You have growth from Jordy. You have growth from Riker. Even Riker at the end's kind of like, maybe I was wrong. And Riker's like, maybe we got to give him a chance. And the the whole balance with the holodeck stuff versus reality, and mainly because I can see. Myself, you know, five, eh, seven years ago when I was at the crisis point of confidence, I could see the holodeck becoming a huge problem for me. <laughs> yeah. I really could. Yeah. So that's, I got I got to go with the Barkley episode, but Derek almost had me. There was a couple minutes when yeah. you were talking about Picard's <laughs> Picard's emotional outburst at the end. I was like, oh man, because you get you get Sarah's performance and Picard's performance that are just parallel. But, I mean, I think you make a really good point, though, that Sarek, the episode, is really just about those two characters, Sarek and mm-hmm. Picard. It really is. Like, there's other characters, of course. But the Barkley episode is about basically the whole senior staff and Barkley. Yeah. You know? Um, even Guinan shows up for a few minutes, and, you know, um, so... I mean, it's a phenomenal episode. So I, it's not definitely not what I can be upset these, about. These are both. Two, I mean, you know? these are both good ones. It, it was a tough call. Well, you both mentioned. I think we talked about it earlier in the episode. There's that seven or eight episode arc where you have like the super soldier episode, and you know Zephyr Cochran's on there. I mean, I know it's just the actor. Yeah. But then you get the episode where Crusher is like kidnapped, mm-hmm. and you get all this stuff. Yeah. All these episodes that are just some of the best Star Trek episodes we've ever had on a, on, a, on a certain episode streak, and they're not even linear stories they're all episodic yeah. they're all standalone and you have the episode of the Akamarians and they mm-hmm. the one girl that doesn't age and she's hunting down her old clan oh like, man, that's yeah. oh I forgot about that one yeah. Utah of the clan Trelesta yeah. you get all these episodes in there that are just <laughs> they have the CSI <laughs> <Yeah>. enhance <laughs> yes. oh man I have to go back and rewatch some of those but that's, I think an argument could be made for season 3 being the strongest season of TNG you know it may not have my favorite episode but I do think it has, it might have the strongest overall season. Mm-hmm. I can completely agree with that, actually. Yeah. I mean, season six has got its moments, so does seven. I mean, that three, four, five, six, seven are some of the best, probably the best five seasons of Star Trek yeah. in a row I think we've ever had. Six might be my all time favorite, but yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, because I mean, honestly, but three stands out because one and two were so uneven. Like they just had a That's rocky true. start, and like with the the writer strike in season two, like once they hit, they they ran out of the gates running on season three. Though they they were ready to rock, and it ends with the best of both worlds part one. Yeah, which I mean, one of the best cliffhangers in all of television history. It might it might be. I mean, it's, I think it's probably the best Star Trek cliffhanger. Yeah. There's some good ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as a season finale. Yeah. You know, not like a comeback next week. Like, come back in three months. Yeah. <laughs> see yeah. what happened, you know. And I feel like at, at that time, like, Picard or Stewart's uh, contract hadn't been renewed. So there was a lot of ambiguity about, like, what's going to happen? Like, is, is the show going to change? Are we going to have a new captain? And there was, like, a whole summer's worth of... He thought he was being killed off. Yeah. You know, and even the the, the guy who write it, wrote it, I'm drawing a black on the name, he was done. He was, his contract he was, was done. up. Yeah. So he's like, well, I'm just going to write this amazing cliffhanger. Yeah. They're going to, someone else will have to figure out how to fix it. And then they hired him back. I know. Like, that's karma right there. That was a dick move. Like, you created this massive problem for someone else to solve, and then you had to solve it. And that, I mean, to be honest, that's why part two is kind of weaker. It's yeah. not the greatest resolution. They had the kind of time to lose. But let's say this about part two. Did anybody imagine Starfleet was going to lose... 39 out of 40 ships. It's like they didn't even stop. No. The they didn't even come close to stopping the board. Well, yeah. and it does create the beginnings of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? Absolutely. absolutely. It yeah. shapes Cisco's character. So yeah. it becomes really significant, mm-hmm. you know. And Battle of Wolf 359. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. And I mean, you've got the, the episode after that, which is Family, where Picard goes home and you mm-hmm. see the thing with his brother. First Contact, of course, the movie is, is a direct tie in. Like, this has significant There's ramifications. There's an Enterprise episode. Yeah. Rege- regeneration. Yeah. yeah. That's the episode that gives some people the idea that the show the Enterprise timeline. is in a separate first contact timeline. Yeah. You know what I love? <laughs> yeah. I know we got to wrap up the episode, but thinking about first contact, there's a little clip when the battle first begins and you have to pay close attention to it. They're listening to like the battle start and the one admiral's talking about all this. Literally like five seconds into the conversation, they're like, all right, got to fall back to like sector 35 or whatever. I'm like, literally like, the battle just started and like Starfleet's already <laughs> retreating and I was like, that's when, and that was my problem with Voyager and the Borg, and then separate topic. We get the whole topic, so we're going to end it here. But <laughs> Zach wins with Hollow Pursuits, but stick around, sports fans, because we got more Star Trek and Borg discussions in the future. We do, and we are going to put what like we have been doing. If you follow at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, we will post a poll for this a few hours after the episode goes live on Friday. Uh, where you can vote for which one you think is, is the better guest appearance, and we will discuss the results of that poll on next week's episode. So you'll have about midday Friday through uh, you know midday Monday, basically, to vote um, for which one you think. So follow Red Shirts Pod on Twitter there. Um, Zach, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me, guys. How fun. can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at AvengersES. That's probably the best way to reach me. Greg? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And I am the Star Trek Dude. We'll be back next week with a new guest. We'll be doing our Mechbob Best of Picard TNG Season 3. Dun, dun, dun. And you'll have to tune in to find out which episodes of those will be. Alright guys, well, we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us, as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows, at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. 
Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.